This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we watch sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Project UFO, Episodes 1 and 6. How many UFO sightings have you investigated? We've lost count. Project has looked into over 12,000. And I suppose a fair number of them are unexplained. Yes, ma'am. Roughly 30%. Well, thank you for the dinner. It was very thoughtful. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that saw the wheel. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? That whole uh, saw the wheel thing is a little intense, huh? What does that mean that Ezekiel saw the wheel? I figured you would know. It's, <laughs> I, do, I do generally know. I mean, it's, you dropped uh, out of seminary school, so... Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, it's uh, it's it's based on um, a prophecy from Ezekiel, where this is very uh, who was one of the prophets in the uh, Old Testament, the Bible, or the uh, uh, Talmud, and uh, uh, it's it's just like it's like a weird prophecy vision where it's like we don't really know what it means, but he mentions seeing these wheels and there's faces in them and something in heaven. So people have interpreted it to meaning different things. I think it's supposed to be in the power of God or something, but I think it's also this idea. There's people have taken this idea that there's that this prophet saw something in actually saw something physically flying, flying up and up in the air. And I think that's what they're trying to play on. Is that like, Hey, guess what? Aliens been around a long time. Yeah. Ezekiel. I think that's really what it's supposed to be. Him. And he saw him. And you guys, you guys all believe Ezekiel. You guys remember Ezekiel, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it is, it is a weird thing. And I don't know if, uh, it's, it's funny. I'm more, <laughs> this is, this is a real cool thing. I'm, uh, uh, more familiar with like, uh, uh, the old country song, like Woody Guthrie did a version of it. And I know Johnny Cash did a cover of it. Like there's a song, um, uh, the wheels of Ezekiel, I think it's called. And so I was like, oh, yeah, that. And I was like, oh, I guess they're not referring to the, that song. <laughs> you were hoping that'd be the theme song, maybe? Yeah, yeah, that's the theme song, but no, not so much. Well, uh, now that we've sort of teased what we're getting into here. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I forgot we haven't even talked about what the show is. What a terrible opening. <laughs> well, this year, as we've mentioned in our uh, sort of preamble and our announcements coming back, we're going to be watching multiple season ep- uh, series. So, Series that went on for mm-hmm. more than one season. First time for us. We've only ever watched single season shows. Yeah. But this this wasn't, uh, uh, I think this is a good way to ease us in because this wasn't like a show that had like 10 seasons or something. No, no. Only two. Only two. Um, so just as a little reminder, if you didn't listen to all that other junk we put out, um, <laughs> here's how it's going to work. Uh, we're not going to watch the whole season. We're going to do a little sampler of it. We're going to like fly by the series. Just have a little peek mm-hmm. at it. Um, which that means is we're going to watch the pilot, we're going to watch the series finale, and then we're going to watch the top three episodes of each season, unless we eject or whatever we do on this on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the idea. So we're going to get into our first multi-season series now, the 1978 C- not CBC, NBC series, Project UFO. Although I did see it eventually apparently changed its name to Project Blue Book. When do you think that's going to happen? Mm. Are you sure? I'm not sure, but uh, even IMDb has it as two different titles. There is a Project Blue Book that came out in like 2018 on the History Channel. I don't know. Unless it turned to that. I, I have a feeling uh, uh, it could have just been that maybe when it was aired in another country, maybe they aired it as a different title. Mm, could be. Could be the case. Yeah. Uh, this is obviously a very based on the Project Blue Book, so very famous uh, U.S. Mm. Air Force sort of project of looking into UFOs. Yeah. And that's what that's really what this is. It's like uh, it's uh, would you say it's fair to say it's it's a bit of a precursor to the X-Files, although I would say the tone is wildly different. But basically two people, two people going out investigating UFOs is basically what the show is. I had the exact same thought and I was just like, why does Kolchak get all the credit from Chris Carter when clearly I think this was in some ways as influential on him? Yeah, if you put those two shows together, you get closer to the X-Files than one or the other. Absolutely, absolutely. Had you heard of this show before? No, I don't think I had. It's, it, I mean, I'm always kind of blown away when we do a new show and it's like these things that have kind of come and gone and just have been mostly forgotten. I'm sure, you know, sorry, I'm sorry to some people out there. I'm sure some people remember, but... But no, I didn't. I wasn't familiar with it. No, neither was I. Neither was I. It was an interesting, interesting start to a show. Um, it ran for two seasons between February 19th, 1978 
and July 12th, 1979, Jordan. It didn't make the 80s. Didn't it? This is pure 70s. Pure 70s all the way through. Yeah, it feels that way too. This this is one of the shows I'll, I'll say, we, we know, we've watched, from, I think everything from the 60s to now. Um, this show feels even earlier than late 70s to me. Just the feel of it. It's um, It's been a while since we've watched things and it's it's got a little bit of a plotting pace, you know? That opening theme song felt very like late 60s, early 70s, 70s mm. to me. Very orchestral yeah. and like not that's ominous right. at all. It's kind of just yeah, like that's... bombastic. <laughs> bombastic is a good way to describe it. Well, Jordan, before we get into it, would you like to know what else was happening in the world while this was on television? I would love to. I got so much for you. Yeah, great. Now, hey, your your uh, sister's younger than you, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, so I was just thinking that maybe you have a sibling that was born during this time, maybe. I'm afraid not. I'm the oldest, so uh, mm. no one was around in the 70s. No no, no little Lucats were around. What was it like? Was it great back then? <laughs> I wasn't born. Come on now. <laughs> well, here's what was happening in the world, Jordan. In 1978, I'm going to start there because there's two years we have to go through here. February 27th, the first global positioning satellite was launched. Oh, okay. Now, now what is that? What does a global positioning satellite do it's specifically? Like do you thing know? on your phone that kind of tells you where you are in the world. You're able to ping ah. off something and it's able to be like, ah, hey, you're about here. Understood. Oh, that's pretty interesting. I'm sure there's like 8 billion of them now. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't super accurate, but it's probably like accurate enough. Hmm. March 8th, the first episode of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio play premieres. Oh, I wonder, was that in England? Yeah, that's a a BBC production. Have you ever heard it? Yeah. No, I never heard it. I never did. Did you? Yeah, I used to work night shifts at a gas station and the college radio station (laughs) one year just like played them all over the course of like a few weeks. So I would just listen to them at the gas station. How was it? It was good. It's actually very good. Oh, that's fun. Um, May 25th, first Unabomber attack. Ooh, the Unabomber. Um, I remember how off that drawing was to what he actually looked like. Ted Kaczynski, right? <laughs> it was just a man in a hood with sunglasses. It could have been anybody. Yeah, but then you saw him and he was like like an old dude with like a long beard and stuff. I was like, he didn't have a beard in that drawing. <laughs> he didn't have he didn't have like leaves in his hair. He wasn't talking to a squirrel. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we can all laugh about it now. Yeah, it's all fine now. It all worked out. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the person with their arm blown off. September twenty eighth. Pope John Paul the First dies after thirty-three days in Popedom. Which which Pope died? Pope John Paul the First. The first, yeah. I don't even I don't remember that guy. Well, I wouldn't have. He was dead before I got there. I honestly thought that there. I thought John Paul the Second, because that was the Pope I grew up with. I assumed he was like the second. The first one was like from like hundreds of years ago. I had no idea till I read this that the first one was like in nineteen seventy-eight. Died after thirty-three days. <laughs> They're just like, um, let's uh, quick redo. Yeah, October nineteenth, sequel to the Pope installed. <laughs> he hated that. He hated being called sequel to the Pope. It's so That's one funny. thing I know about him. I had no idea that like three weeks later, it's like, ah, here's number two. It's fine. We keep going. You know, it's it's funny. I don't think I knew that either. It usually is that where you're like, hey, remember uh, uh Pope uh, liturgy? Guess what? You're number two. He was from five hundred years ago. Yeah, that's what you'd expect. <laughs> Also, I came up with the worst name ever, Pope Liturgy. There's no Pope Liturgy. No, but you'll get there one day, Jordan. Po- <laughs> yeah, here's hoping. If I if I can if I can get my Ezekiel test right on. All right. Here is 1979 for you, Jordan. In March, the Voyager 1 probe passes Jupiter. Mhm. April 7th, the first Mobile Suit Gundam episode premieres. You're a big uh, Gundam fan. I don't know what that is. You don't know that those big robots, the big anime robots. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know what that is. They're everywhere here. There's like huge statues of them in like uh, train stations here in Korea. Oh, they're 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 big. Uh, people they're love big. Them. You make a lot. They're. I think you can get a lot of like uh, model kits. Oh, okay. Sure. I, I I mean maybe if I saw my dome, but uh, as per the conversation we we're having before we recorded, I, I apparently missed a lot of things. <laughs> you even missed this May twenty first. The Montreal Canadiens win their fourth consecutive Stanley Cup. I knew that, yeah. Four in a row. Good for them, Jordan. Well, they've won the most. You know, they've been around. I don't know anything about them. <laughs> <laughs> they're the oldest. They're like, uh, they've won the most, yeah. I have a feeling you know? this is something else you'll know a lot about. Yeah. June 4th, Canada's youngest prime minister 
takes office. It, Joe Clark. Yeah, I, yeah. I, you, right. I knew and you'd al- know. Also, also was in very short time. Our, not, I don't know if our shortest prime minister ever in, but who was our shortest? Very do you short. Think? It was either him or Kim Campbell. Oh no, I think someone. I think someone actually died uh, very shortly. But I no, I think. Oh right, I forgot about Prime Minister Pope John Paul the First. That's right, Pope John Paul the First, Prime Minister. He died very quickly. <laughs> um, but yeah, Joe Clark wasn't in very long, less than a year, I think. June fifteenth, McDonald's Happy Meal per- is introduced. Oh, weird! Isn't that weird? I was I was reading a thing on that one time about uh, uh, the advertising plan for that for the Happy Meal. Um, what was was the Happy Meal always? You may not have this information. Was it always like a multi option, or did it start with like just a little hamburger for kids? That would I be my guess. Do not have that information. <laughs> yeah, because I bet you was like I bet you it was like pre like chicken nuggets. I bet they didn't even have those. Yeah, no, there's no way chicken nuggets exist in these, the seventies. These kids don't know. They don't know how lucky they are. <laughs> uh, June twenty second, the Muppet movie is released. Oh, the Muppet movie. Have you uh, went back and tried rewatching that? I'm not a hundred percent sure I've seen it to begin with. <laughs> it's it's surprisingly slow. It, it, part of it's just the time it was released. I remember I was rewatching part of it. I was like, God, just get to the Muppets. I thought you were going to say it doesn't hold up because of all the racism. <laughs> <laughs> that I don't remember. I couldn't. I couldn't speak to that. Uh, but I mean, Kermit does drop a few choice words. July first, Sony Walkman goes on sale in Japan. Oh wow! Wow, this was a real time. This this everything was just setting up for the eighties. Every everything's firsts in these seventies and eighties. Everything's like mm-hmm. coming into play. Mm-hmm. We got satellites of people eating uh, happy meals while plugging in their Walkman. And I think this is the most important one, Jordan. Mm. July twelfth. Disco Demolition Night goes awry, forcing the White Sox to forfeit their game to the Detroit Tigers. Oh, I don't know what that is. Disco <laughs> Demolition Night. That sounds like a sounds like a real story, but I don't know what that is. I, I looked into it because I thought of like, what on earth is Disco Demolition Night, and how did it go awry? C- can I guess what it is? Yes. It's 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 the end of uh, disco is not popular anymore. The decade's coming to an end. It was more popular to trash disco, and I bet it was like a fun thing that they have people bring their records or something to get smushed or something like that and i'm guessing the smushing got out of control that's my guess or people just threw threw records on the on the on the pitch you are almost exactly correct yeah is that right what happened it was a double header apparently <laughs> to get people to come up to the white Sox game because they've been having a bad few years they're like disco sucks bring your disco records and we will blow them up in the infield oh man between the two games and as the first game started it was record numbers of people there and they just started hucking additional records at the players which wasn't good they had to wear their helmets on the field because they were just like records whizzing by their heads yeah there's a reason you can't bring stuff to stadiums anymore people can't people can't be trusted especially dealt with with disc related items so many people were excited about this idea that the gates were overcrowded with people trying to get in so they sent security to deal with the gates and then at that like kind of between game period they went and ex- put all this dynamite or whatever underneath the records on the field blew it up and as soon as it exploded the people in the stands just poured onto the infield and just started a riot <laughs> <laughs> it's, i can't believe i don't know about this sounds like a good time it's, good it's, good time good good time at the at the uh the old game it was a really amazing wikipedia entry i'll tell you that <laughs> and so they never did play that second game huh you no know, no uh the white Sox kept trying to reschedule but the league was like no you fucked it up uh you're giving it to Det- the detroit tigers get it and i think the detroit tigers like it like were beating them so badly like they didn't need any more wins but they got them oh man that's a good story. I, w- I wish there was more um, uh, um, uh, things at like sports arenas where they're just like, we're going to blow things up. But I can't think of like a genre of music that people are that's so reviled now. You know, bring all your trip hop albums. You don't like trip hop, Jordan? No, I'm just saying I'm trying to think of a genre that it would be very weird to get very angry about. I was trying to imagine them blowing stuff up with explosives in the infield between games. Like, don't you need to keep that grass clear? Someone wasn't thinking about it. All right. Well, let's keep going, Jordan. I'm done with the dates, but uh, there were two Oscar ceremonies in in between this. I know how you like to guess who the best pictures were. So you've got 78 and you got 79. Oh, you know what? 
late 70s is hard for me to remember who won the I'm pretty sure Gandhi won in 80 78 and 79 I think 77 was uh uh Kramer versus Kramer I don't remember who won 78 79 I actually don't know it's Annie Hall oh Annie Hall okay and the deer hunter deer hunter yeah yeah they're both good movies there you go. I mean, it's funny. You you might have guessed the two around them, so it's interesting that you couldn't get those two. I just couldn't remember those years. All right. And one last thing for us, Jordan. I was still reeling from that that White Sox game, you know? <laughs> All right. One last thing for us, Jordan. Mm. There are three TV series we have covered in Continuum Drag. Well, Project UFO is on the air. Can you guess them? Three TV shows. One would be... Wasn't Galactica 1980 on in the set in late 70s? No, because that would have been 1980. <laughs> I thought maybe they uh, they started it before 1980. I don't know why. Uh, so what else would we have watched? Let me cheat and just so I can remind myself shows we watched because I never actually. They're your top three shows, I think. They're they're my top three shows. Yeah, I think so. A- Auto Man. No. Uh, no, that would be in 80s, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be in 80s. Man, oh man, Luke, I can't even remember one episode, one episode of one show we've done. Let's say, uh, uh. Uh, come back, Mrs. Noah. That's correct. Hey, I got one. Let's say uh, Planet of the Apes was over, right? No, yeah, not Planet of the Apes. Okay, and then let me take one more guess. I'm going to guess... Uh, uh, <laughs> I was going to say Tech War. There's no way. Um, Beyond Westworld. No, I'm afraid not. It was Come Back, Mrs. Noah. Yeah. Quark. Oh, Quark. And Super Train. Super train. I was just talking to someone about Super Train. I said it's not as fun as it sounds. <laughs> uh, literally, I said it's not as fun as it sounds. Just, just watch the Dick Van Dyke episode. <laughs> I think that's fair, right? Yeah, it's very reasonable. I'd say. Yeah. All right, you ready to get into this? Let's do Enough it. Enough fuffing around. <laughs> Here's the IMDb summary for episode one: Sighting four thousand and one, the Washington D.C. incident. Hmm. A woman on a Virginia farm reports a strange object in her yard and a robot-like creature which communicates with her. A U.S. Air Force pilot chases a UFO and dies. Hmm. Um, two quick things. I don't know if you noticed, but um, the person who plays um, Major Jake Gatlin, uh, one of the two investigators, is William Jordan, and he played uh, Joseph Oppenheimer in uh, Beyond Westworld. Do you recognize him? Oh. Slightly younger version. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. So he's it is his second series with us, in a major role too. Mm-hmm. In a major role, although from uh, based on just looking at IMDb, it doesn't look like he's going to stay on the show because he has less episodes uh, than uh, than the other dude. Than uh, um, Staff Sergeant uh, Harry Cat. Fitz. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Harry Harry Fitz. Yeah, one one's a Staff Sergeant, one's a Major. Yes, that's yes. what you need to know. Major Jake Gatlin, Staff Sergeant Harry Fitz. They both work for Project Blue Book, and they'll be. I guess sort of our leads on the show. They don't have much personality-wise. Uh, Fitz is kind of a southern ladies' man. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? In two episodes we've now watched that we'll talk about, you don't really... They're sort of interchangeable. Like, if you just think about, like, dialogue on the page, there's no... There's nothing that specific. We get... You're right. We get a little bit with Harry. Like, in the second episode, he's doing dance lessons. And there's a few things, but... They're pretty interchangeable, and there's nothing that evocative about either of these characters. It's more about their vehicle to get us to this fantastical world of UFOs. Yeah, they drive the plot with like interviews yeah. of suspects and witnesses and things. But they, yeah, not too much character other than yeah, Southern ladies' man, and I guess like the boss. Yeah. Although, again, even between that, like, do you even really get a sense that one's the boss and one's not? Not much. I think that Major Gatlin is a real boss energy. Do you think so? He's got that boss energy, Jordan. Mm. Do you have boss energy? I don't know. You tell me. I don't know. I don't know if you have boss energy. I mean, I haven't I haven't seen you in a boss situation. Do I have Southern ladies' man energy? You have that, definitely. Oh, you don't even have Thank to ask. You. Thanks, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a classic Oprah, where it's like uh, uh, she's just speaking with a normal vernacular but then she adds in like y'all or something you're like wait a minute you're not of the people (laughs) anyway uh this show starts with a cold open of three consecutive ufo sightings 
a glowing orb appears over a farm and freaks all the little animals out. Mm-hmm. Then a driver on a highway in, a, in the pouring rain pulls over to light a smoke when he's fire in the sky. That's right. That's right. That's a good. That's a good example. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just a, like a big glowing orb flies up and shakes his truck around. It's exactly like the scene from Fire in the mm-hmm. Sky. Yeah, a surprisingly terrifying movie. And finally, a UFO lands in front of a woman's house, and uh, all of this sort of happens uh, between Kentucky and Virginia, and. It's very funny. This only happens in the first episode, so I guess they phased it out pretty quickly. But every time they change locations, you get a very procedural style like June 25th, 7 a.m., Virginia. Yeah. What I like, though, is that that they they keep getting, um, again, something that the X-Files did um, in a slightly different way. But it's still like a lower third kind of like text. Um, But it just keeps telling you all these different parts. But like, I don't know these areas. They're like West Virginia central virginia i'm like you could just say virginia is there that much of a difference maybe people living there have like don't you dare say i'm from west virginia when i'm from central virginia but i was like close enough i don't know there are so many of them it bordered on parody yeah well yeah because i started writing them all down but i I gave up after like the first four I, i i bet they do it 15 times minimum yeah yeah. Oh, and we should say, though, the episode starts, Luke, with, I guess, the same screen message that's on every episode, at least the two we watched, which is there's like a blue screen with text and it says, this program is a dramatization inspired by official reports of governmental investigations of claims of reported sightings of unidentified flying objects on file in the National Archives of the United States. I like that's a disclaimer. So don't you just know that this is based on this is based on something. It's, it's very not real. Official, Jordan. It's based on something. Very yeah. official. Mm hmm. Um, at any rate, uh, we then go to a Washington, D.C. radar station, which picks up a UFO in its airspace. Um, they have this uh, commercial airliner that's flying nearby come down and even do a visual confirmation of it. There's like this little glowing football-shaped orb out in the sky. So they mm-hmm. scramble jets from a local Air Force base to chase it down. And, of course, once they get in the air, one of the jets, of course, has some strange hydraulic failure. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they, they just kept saying hydraulic, but there was something specific, but it had to do with hydraulics. That's what, that's what you need to know. But the other plane of the two they sent up, it, uh, it pursues the UFO as the UFO begins to quickly ascend well above the jet's, I guess, elevation cap. It can't go higher than a certain mm-hmm. level. Um, and the radar site loses traces of this UFO on the radar, but this uh, pilot keeps reporting that he can see it visually. He's going after it. He's going to keep pursuing it upward. And then as he does, his uh, canopy to his jet just explodes off the top of the jet. His face mask rips off, and next thing we know is we see these uh, construction workers gawking as the jet flies straight down to the ground and explodes in a fiery burst of flames. And and obviously they're intercutting with um, like studio, a guy in a plane in studio with um, some uh, footage of plane up in the air mixed with um, model work. Like the model doesn't quite work in terms of when it's falling and stuff, but I thought it was pretty pretty well done. Like it's it's pretty it's it's. I, as close to seamless in these shows as I've seen before. For a show from the 70s that we've watched that's using clearly some stock footage, it's far better edited than a lot of the shows we've seen. Yeah, like this like this, this thing is not uh, the most impressive explosion, but it all works pretty well. At any rate, this brings Project Blue Book into it because obviously there's so many UFO reports, even some from the U.S. Uh, U.S. Air Force themselves. So, so they're going. Mm-hmm. They've uh, they've interviewed the driver who is menacing that truck, and uh, and then they're sent out to Washington to figure out, you know, what's happened with this crash landing. And um, all indications from the crash site seem like the pilot didn't even attempt to eject, which means he must have explosively decompressed in the air. There's a lot of there's a lot of questions, basically. No, like, mm-hmm. they don't know what happened on the road. They don't know what happened in the sky. There's a lot of questions. And it, it finally brings them to the woman who reported the UFO landing on her lawn. And we get, like, an absolutely fantastic flashback of her memories of that night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I should say that's an interesting thing they do because uh, the opening of this is essentially a cold opening. But what you get is a snippet of everything that has happened and then when they come back to investigate and interview these people uh it gets fleshed out and you see the same thing but much long a longer version of what happened to each of these people and everyone we've seen in these flashbacks with the exception of this one woman it's always a glowing orb it's never very clear but for her like we fully see a gigantic ufo hover over the front yard of her home mm-hmm. 
and we see it come down, hover above her house, send a little tube out of it to like, you know, a little landing pod, basically, mm-hmm. in which a like strange, very Johnny Five adjacent kind of robot gets out with like laser fingers. Yeah, it was really weird because at first I was like, oh, I guess we're just going to see kind of like a fuzzy image of what this is. But yeah, it's a robot comes out. It sort of is like standing in like, uh, um, yeah, it's like arms are up, arms, I guess we want to call them arm above its head. And then bet- like it's shooting between its hand lasers for reasons. Just put a little laser show for her. Yeah. And she's, um, uh, we should say she's clutching a Bible. I think they're supposed to be the idea is that she's a a woman of faith and uh and she's not scared of this at all she's actually seems quite um pretty pleased it seems i'd almost say she's just like you know in the flashbacks i believe we see her say oh i'm not worried thank you uh and then she explains to them that um, the robot was communicating with her telepathically to express its peaceful intention so she was never very worried about it um Mm -hmm. but she does say she's like if if your pilot was shot down he must not have had peaceful intentions because these were peaceful aliens the ones i met Mm -hmm. yeah but she's saying she basically says that they were the robot or the ship was somehow sort of telepathically giving her this message she never actually said anything and you know now that they've sort of investigated the various sightings that have happened uh i believe sergeant fitz puts it best with his southern down-home accent jordan when he says we got mm. more unanswered questions than a Senate subcommittee. <laughs> ooh, ooh, what a what a hot one! I, I should say, um, uh, I was laughing earlier on when because they, they kind of sort of interview all the people in a row, and when they talk to the one guy who, um, uh, the alien, uh, he saw the alien while he was driving, and they go to talk to him in the uh, in the hospital. He describes what he saw twice, and I think um, this is how you and I should be describing ourselves. You could pick which way you'd like. One, he says it was a hunk of fire. So you can have people refer to you as a hunk of fire or a red hot bowling ball. I think either of those are pretty complimentary. You think those are good nicknames? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could be a hunk of fire if you want. Red hot bowling ball. Oh, oh, man, he's a hunk of fire. And that Jordan, what a red hot bowling ball. There you go. Yeah. Sounds like you're like a himbo or something. You're like really hot, but kind of stupid. (laughs) That's me. Anyway, back in Washington, D.C., the dead pilot's wife shows up at the base to kind of accuse Major Gatlin of not giving the whole story around her death of her husband in the sky. And apparently a reporter's come by her house, told her UFOs might be involved. And like she, you know, she wants to know what's really happening. And uh, Jordan, really quick, though, the uh, reporter who showed up, that was probably Kolchak, right? (laughs) That would have been a great crossover. That's funny. This is an interesting scene in that Major Gatlin is not telling her about the ufos for sure but she he's also kind of warning her about like being taken advantage of by like exploitative journalists who are coming around it's mm-hmm. it's a weird thing it's an interesting character because like he's definitely lying to her in that very governmental like not you know x-files he's not telling the truth way but he's also very concerned for her well-being it's a weird they walk a weird balance here where like they have to toe the line for the military and they're not going to tell the whole truth but they also are very sympathetic to everyone they talk to well, well, I think what I most took from this is uh, uh, you can see a cultural shift in attitude specifically, I think, towards government, um, because this show doesn't have that same mistrust in government that the government that uh, the X-Files does um, less than 15 years later. Right. Um, there's just this this feeling of the characters. Yeah, the characters, the military is fine. Um, there's secrets, but it's not. There's nothing done in a nefarious way. There's secrets because of secrets. But you're right. His his uh, his mission is really like an empathetic one, which is 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 interesting. It's 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 a weird tone, and it does feel like it's of a time that I don't remember. So it's like it's sort of alien in its form of just these two characters that I can't quite figure out. Whereas I grew up in a different time, so X Files seems more of makes more a little more sense to me well this is not the same time period but very contemporaneous with like kolchak isn't it which is very government distrusting it is funny yeah because yeah you're right like it, it does feel like it, you know my sense was that like this is just a cultural feel but you you have you make a good point because the kolchak wasn't kolchak was uh i don't know if it was just him but it was like a mistrust of everything at any rate uh Things are really going crazy now with this whole UFO thing. The Pentagon has requested an immediate report from Roger 
Project Blue Book, and um, the evidence all seems to point to a single reconnaissance craft uh, that has come down and so far does not appear to be a threat. That said, they want to be safe, so the Pentagon's going to put the Air Force on standby for DEFCON 3. <laughs> it's not DEFCON 4, so it's fine. And it's not DEFCON 3, so people are safe from Kanye. <laughs> nice. It's going to be real dated when this comes out. <laughs> At any rate, um, we get a funny scene, though, when basically Gatlin goes, he talks to the Pentagon. They're like, well, we're going to go on Death Con 3. And then they fly him back to the Air Force Base they're working out of on a, a little helicopter. As the helicopter's landing, um, uh, Sergeant Fitz is waiting for his boss to come back. And this, like, just Air Force technician just sitting there on a Jeep watching the helicopter come in with Fitz. And the Air Force technician like turns to Fitz and he's like, "Hey, uh, that's uh, that's the old Pentagon Express, eh? Was your was your boss out there at the Pentagon telling him about those UFOs we saw?" And uh, Fitz Fitz turns to the man and says, "Nah, nah, nah. He was at the Pentagon because he was asking them about that good conduct medal they're getting you for minding your own business." <laughs> you know what's funny? I don't even remember that exchange. It was so funny. He like just like shuts this guy down so fast. <laughs> it's. I'll be honest. I like. Uh, we want to talk about. This. I like the next episode better than I like this episode. This episode, I started. It started losing my attention. I'll be honest. And I, and I also and I and I feel like the uh, the end of the episode was a bit of a disappointment. I think. I think. We'll just say this. I don't think there's a great pilot to start the show. Well, I think what you're talking about is basically what happens next. There's a bit of a nebulous turn here, which I don't think they yeah. set up well, and just sort of happens. And that Major Gatlin has suddenly become kind of skeptical to the idea of the UFO. And he like returns to the radar st- the radar site and like asks them to like check and like do some math and see if maybe w- the light in the sky might have been reflected from the ground. And then yeah. they go from that scene to him going off and going to re-meet all the witnesses again. And like they go to the farmer, they saw the first one, and he tells them it was a rare weather condition caused by thermal inversions. And then they go see the- the, Yeah, this they keep saying temperature inversion over and over and over. And I was like, this this was a real like scully trying to explain something and you're like eh, okay sure they're like hey you know when you take a flashlight and you shine it into a mirror and it shines somewhere else that's what you saw yeah and it kind of comes out of nowhere it's not like they found evidence or anything he just starts mm-hmm. saying it's like they see the guy in the truck and they explain to him that it was ball lightning that hit his his truck it was like just a weird phenomena mm-hmm. and then obviously the witnesses are pretty skeptical by their like sort of to the credit of the show, there's like, well, I don't know if I buy it, but okay, uh, if you say so. Um, with, of course, the woman who s- swears she saw a UFO land on her front lawn, she in particular is just like, listen, I know what I saw. It wasn't a weather phenomenon. Like, a UFO landed. I talked to a laser robot. Uh, it's not true. Um, well, because it, w- what we really get is, and, and this is, you know, I know we have a little bit left to go, but basically it, like, uh, they say, they're like, yeah, the best we could do is the this is a weather phenomenon. Anyways, that's basically it. And you're like, what? That's the show? That's the episode? Well, even the lady who's like, they land on our farm. She's like, well, they did land here. And they're like, well, we didn't find any radioactive evidence of any like thing we could suspect to be, you know, an interstellar craft. She's like, how would you know what the technology of an interstellar craft was? Uh, It would be so far into the future. And they're like, it's very weird, though, because it's all very amicable. So like she challenges Mm -hmm. them on everything and they like admit like some fault. And in the end, they're just like, they agree to disagree. And they're like, well, let's just enjoy some more lemonade. (laughs) (laughs) It is interesting. Yeah, it's like, what about all these uh, well-articulated points? They're like, yeah. Anyways, see you later. Could be right. Um, And like, just to drive that home, like the final scene of it is uh, the Project Blue Book boys. They go and have dinner with that pilot's widow. And they thank her because instead of like going to the press and like talking about UFOs, apparently she went to the, when the press talked to her, she just said she trusted the U- U.S. Army or the U.S. Air Force. And they she believes their findings about the whole thing. So it kind of became a non-story because of her like bottling it up, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But they talk about how this is and this is sort of, I guess, piloty. But they start talking about how they've investigated over 12,000 UFOs and 30% of them end up being unexplained. And uh, the wife kind of asks as they're wrapping up the dinner, it's like, were they satisfied with the investigation to her husband's death? And they admit they're not 100% satisfied with the findings, but, like, you know, this is just part of the job. And it's, it's a weird... I think the turn at the end where they just suddenly had answers didn't feel satisfying. I think you're right. I think that's what it is that why I was just like... It just... It seemed like they were, like... 
investigating, investigating. And they're like, anyways, we're just giving up. I'm like, but why are you giving up? Or they're like, or it was, or it was that, or as if there was a scene missing where something was revealed that, that you're right, gave them that turn. But because we didn't have that, it just felt like the third act was them wrapping up something that did, I, it's just they didn't have anything to tie it up. It was just it was very odd. Yeah, they just never found that evidence that got them to the final state. Like I would have been fine if it was just like they debunked this one at the end of it for the most part. Like twenty mm-hmm. percent of it was undebunked, but they but it's just like he just showed up and he was just like a wet, a temperature inversion. I'm like, where did you get that from? And so that's why I thought it was um, a kind of uh, we'll go into this more at the end. But for a, for a pilot, I thought it was a little bit disappointing because it didn't lead us into any direction for where the show was going to go. Because I wasn't, I was like, is this what all the episodes are going to be like? They're going to eventually just go, yeah, none of that happened for reasons that you don't get. I was like, oh, well, I hope that's not what the show is going to be. <laughs> but then I thought the next episode that we're going to talk about, I thought was uh, was a stronger, a stronger enough, piece of TV. Yeah, I felt like with the pilot, maybe what they were setting up is just like the formula of just there's going to be an investigation every episode. And unfortunately, they just mm. didn't know how to solve the mystery of this one. So it just ended up being like a bit, bit of a mess at the end. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, they chose these to be the mysteries, so they can't tie it up. That's not my problem. Jordan, I think it's your fault, though. <laughs> Anyways, but episode six, we're going to jump out five over five over episodes to see how things have gone. And I think I think this was a good, good decision because I do think it, the show got a little stronger. Here's the IMDb summary for episode six. Citing 4006, the Nevada desert incident. Lieutenant, you related an extraordinary experience to Captain Selvage over at Gold Bar. Now, we may never be able to prove that you saw what you did, but we sure cannot prove you didn't. You were there. We weren't. Now, we're going to dig into it and make sure that no one's trying to make a fool out of you. Maybe it's gone beyond that already. Maybe I already am. In Nevada, Major Gatlin and Staff Sergeant Fitz investigate claims of a UFO sighting in the desert. Oh, and I should say, I don't think, I think we basically started talking about it at the beginning of this episode with the Ezekiel and stuff, but that's how every episode starts, apparently, where they talk about Ezekiel's wheel, and then you see this kind of, like, ball in, like, a sort of drawing form, and then it goes into different drawings of UFOs. what, what po- UFO, yeah, what, what people think they've seen, and that's how every episode starts. I was like, oh, that's gonna be, that's what the opening is. It's It's a very... I don't know. It's very odd, but I, that's what they want. <laughs> well, did you notice between episode one and episode six, the, they slightly tweak the opening and how it goes, so it's a little bit faster. It's a little, is it? I didn't notice. And in the, I believe in the opening, the first episode, they like show the photos one by one. They like cut to them. And this one, they kind of just like pan past them all really quickly. And then like mm. the words Project UFO just fly past the camera. Right, right. Yeah. Speed it up, guys. Speed it up. Also, I don't know if this is in the pilot. I only noticed it in the sixth episode. But did you notice the producer who's come on board the show? No, I didn't. Who was that? It's a retired Air Force colonel is now credited as a producer on the show. Oh, that's right. That's right. I saw that too. It had it has that little like like ret, and I was like, oh, that's funny. I like that they have to add that in. Just you know, like don't worry, he's retired. Anyway, uh, this episode's cold open is with a uh, Lieutenant Paul Staley. Mm-hmm. And we we have him basically, uh, we see right away he's in the desert. He's waking up in his car. He's clearly slept there overnight, or at least for some amount of time. Um, we see that he's a, uh, in the military of some sort because he's wearing his uniform. Um, and uh, he's going to, he sort of looks like he pulled over because he was tired. He starts, he goes to start his car, but it won't start. Like it won't turn over. Um, and then right when uh, his car is not being able to start, he sees uh, over in the distance, there's some sort of like, I, we're, I guess we'll just keep calling it UFO. It looks very different than what we saw, I think, in the previous episode. This is more like a... It's a real Millennium Mad, Falcon. Yeah, yeah, but like mixed with like Mad Max or something. And it sort of seems to be, uh, have landed on the on in the desert and it's kicking up dust as it sort of takes off. That's what he sees. Yeah, yeah, and it's great. This, this like really mechanical UFO takes off. And then it splits into five separate UFOs, real saucer section style. It just like mm-hmm. it splits into five, flies over his car, and then later when he you know repeats this story, we'll see more of the flashback. And I'll just we'll just explain it now. But like mm-hmm. after he sees it sort of fly by, he goes and looks around the desert, and he finds like scorch marks in the desert stand. And when he tries to touch it, they're really hot, and he's just like, "What have I seen?" Um, gets back in his car, drives to the nearest Air Force base, and basically reports the sighting, which of course ends up immediately on Project Blue Book's desk. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I should really quickly say he um, 
in this, I don't know if it's in this part or in later flashback, he does try to go take a photo, but he realizes he doesn't have any film for his camera. So he has no evidence. Basically, he's left other than the evidence that should be there in the desert. He doesn't have any anything to substantiate his claims. It's only his word. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Plodrick Blue Buck heads out to L.A. to the home of this Mr. Staley, this Lieutenant Staley. I believe I said it was Lieutenant. I can't remember anymore. Yeah, I love how um, casual it is when they go to interview him. It's just it's so 70s. He's just got like I can't remember if he's smoking, but he's just got like a nice sweater vest on. And um, but it's him and his home, um, his wife and his father in law who immediately you get the sense he's a little bit a little bit uh, confrontational. Yeah, yeah. His father-in-law is there. The father-in-law is a doctor and former uh, Korean War surgeon. I guess he was in a MASH unit, Jordan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't remember him from MASH, but... Um, And basically, when the Project Blue Book guys show show up to interview Staley, his father-in-law is just like, Hey, listen, guys, I called in a favor from an old pal in the Air Force, and they said I could sit on your interview with my uh, my son-in-law, so I'm going to just sit here. And they're like, uh, okay, a little weird, but uh, go for it, I guess. Yeah, and so they do interview him, and basically he does tell them, um, this is where we get the flashback, and he basically tells them what had happened, which is, I think he was leaving his base. Yeah, he was just um, they finished were... 48 hours of Air Force survival school. Yeah, and they were, were they celebrating that specifically? Yes, yes, they had been 48 hours in the desert. Um, they had a little toast as he was leaving, but he wanted to get back to L.A. to see his wife. Yeah, so he kind of drives, kind of knowing that he'll just pull over if he gets tired, which is what had happened. He pulled over to, to I don't know if he was going to sleep the whole night or get a, catch a few hours sleep, but he did fall asleep. And then we see a longer version of this uh, this UFO kind of split apart and stuff. Um, I do like the way they did the one shot, though, when he went to sleep. Um, you see in the rearview mirror just like a multicolor kind of flashing. Yeah, a little and rainbow. Like shot. Yeah, and it's shining on his face. I actually thought the effect was pretty cool. Um, and um, basically, what we get from this scene is you just get the characters, what their stance is. That this guy really just wants to prove that he did see a UFO. His wife seems unsure of. She's sort of indifferent. She's ambivalent to, to the kind of this whole thing. Um, she just seems to not really want to be there. And the father in law seems very cagey and uh, does not want this interview really happening or wants it to be very um very careful about what is said the father-in-law is so because here's what happens they end the interview and i also thought that it was gonna be like the father-in-law wants the son-in-law to like keep his mouth shut but the father-in-law has staley walk him to his car as they're walking there we kind of learn that staley's planning to retire from the air force his terms up he's just a reservist he doesn't Mm -hmm. have to stay in it he wants to he basically has got an offer to be a reporter in denver he's more interested in doing that um, but the father-in-law really wants him to consider. He thinks civilian life is very unstable, and they both agree. It's very funny. They're both talking. They're like, we both agree, though, right? We don't want my daughter to have to work for a living, right? And, and Staley's like, of course not. Of course not. I wouldn't want a woman to work, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the father-in-law, where I thought he was going to be like, just keep your mouth shut so you can like, get a good military job, he's just like, listen, you saw a UFO. We have to use this to your advantage. I can get you a great job because you saw a UFO in the army. You're going to you're going to move up in the army because you saw that UFO. And I was like, "What?" Well, it's, yeah, it's it's interesting, yeah, because he he does want him to keep his mouth mouth shut, but not in the way you think. He wants him to kind of keep his mouth shut because he thinks this is um this is some sort of usable uh information that he can I don't know if it's the idea is that he's going to like blackmail's not the right the word uh not the right word, but use it in some way to be able to move up the ranks yeah, i don't yeah. know exactly what the idea was be on the yeah. tip of everyone's tongue he's like staley saw a ufo they'll be like whoa let's give him a great job yeah it was like something to that effect but he but it's there's this uh you get the idea that there's a real uh push and pull uh specifically with the wife between these two these two men yeah 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 the two men in her life have uh differing opinions of what uh staley should be doing but uh right right around here i actually thought this is what made this episode more interesting it really becomes uh, in some ways, the point of this episode, which is how how much of a, um, a credible witness he is. Uh, what's his name? Stanley? Staley. Staley. Um, because immediately when they go out to have their conversation, the father-in-law and Staley out in the uh, on the driveway, um, uh, the two uh, two Air Force guys. What's their name? Harry. Harry and Jake. Um, they they go. They're just like having a coffee in the kitchen, and they notice there's a bookshelf and. and 
every book on the bookshelf, I'm pretty sure every single one, is about UFOs. Yeah, you feel like a so dozen UFO books. Yeah, so they're like, oh, we've been called here to investigate a UFO sighting from someone who is obsessed with UFOs. And so it does start making this interesting um, uh, dynamic between should we as viewers even believe what what we what we have seen well even the next day uh the project blue book boys get uh they get some sketches from staley he's like i'll he drew up the what the ufo he saw was and they're immediately like you know so, notice something weird about these sketches they're all from the top down like he wouldn't have seen it from the top down why did he draw it that way so you know that sort of keeps getting amplified of like is he a reliable witness mm-hmm and they even get a request from his Air Force base. Um, Staley didn't tell them this, but apparently he put in a request to have a hearing board called to verify his claim. So Staley himself has been asked to, like, has asked to be, like, put on trial to prove his own claims. Like, this man has something to prove here. Yeah, yeah. And they're just like, and I think uh, it's a couple scenes in, they just, they actually, uh, they show up when he's like, arriving at the office or whatever, and they, they sort of show up without telling him. They're like, so when he arrives there, there they're like, "What's the deal, man? Why are you not? Why are you not being like straightforward with us?" And he's like, "I'm Staley. What do you, what, what do you expect from me?" Well, I believe the scene you're talking about is Staley goes to visit his wife at uh, her job at the UCLA, the one they oh, was that what it was the one that they don't want her to have anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, we don't want to have to have to work. And when he walks into her office, uh, you know the. Uh, project blue book guys are, are interviewing her and he gets quite upset and feels like they're trying to discredit him by you know asking his wife if he's crazy yeah that, oh, that's right that's why they do go they're like um uh, we should go check his mental state to see if he's he's cuckoo but but they do also mention that uh he's cuckoo um that uh he's passed all his whatever tests tests the military make you do to uh to show that you're of sound mind um, but it was really funny after this is the sort of subplot of this is that uh, Staley and his wife leave the office. They go for a little walk and immediately get in a fight that they clearly have had multiple times about her father and how he's constantly trying to dictate what they do with their lives. And it's very funny because it's like she doesn't see it at all. She's like, no, daddy just wants what's best for us. You should just listen and do whatever he says. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's funny because then, then he's just like and they even imply that she's like, what are you going to leave again? Like last time I was like, "Ooh, this has been a tumultuous relationship. Yeah. A lot of a lot of stress put on them by this father in law who's a little bit a little bit too pushy. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But as you said, like uh, as Project Blue Book continues to investigate, Staley is basically the best of the best in the U.S. Air Force, like passes his test grade. Everyone thinks he's like an up and comer. It's too bad he's living mm-hmm. to be a civilian. Um, and they even take Staley out to the site where he saw the UFOs landing. But they really can't find any evidence of anything there. It's, you know, winds blowing everything over. But even still, well, they're surprisingly like sympathetic to him not having evidence. Well, yeah, it's interesting because um, he he sort of goes out of his way or had gone out of his way to make himself the least credible witness ever. Like they almost seem the project blue book boys blue book, right? That's correct. Yeah. They almost, you're right. They almost seem so sympathetic and want to help him. Like they're the ones pushing, like, do you have any evidence? And it's almost like he's been shooting himself in the foot the whole time. They're like, Where, whereabouts did you, did you mark where the ship was? He's like, no, I was around here. And they're like, okay, did you did you do anything so we can know where those hotspots were? They're like, nope. Like, oh, d- a- anything? Anything you can help us? Did you mark, like, which direction it went? He's like, no, well, how would I have known? Aliens. And they're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's a pretty hostile witness overall. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, at any rate, uh, Staley is sort of brought back to the Air Force Base to discuss this hearing he's requested about his, like, you know, I guess his credibility he's really putting himself on trial about. And um, they're kind of warning him, it's like, you don't have to do this. No one is insisting you, like, prove this UFO sighting you're doing. And it's going to expose him to a lot of scrutiny, basically. And the his, his commanding officer... Does he say why he is so desperate to, to do this other than he just wants to be heard? Because I'm assuming he's made a report. So the his his uh superiors know of this but does he explicitly say why he's so desperate for this specific type of hearing he doesn't explicitly say it the implication seems to be that he really wants to prove himself like he really wants to prove he's not crazy and he's not a liar like he feels like this is so insane he needs to show everyone that like he is a credible witness well see that's what that's what i thought but don't you think that's interesting because no one really even his father-in-law no one seems to like go you're crazy 
Like no one has an aggressive or uh, contrary opinion to him. So it seemed it. I just didn't know why we needed that. What 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 was propelling him? Because no one was against him. They're just like, yeah, I guess you did see an, an alien anyway. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, whatever the reason is, it's so internal that we never see. It. Right, right. Anyways, the point is, we are going to get that scene of him sort of uh, um, not defending himself, but um, explaining what he saw and sort of in a uh, court-like case. But what's weird again is that like he didn't like bring anything. He didn't like really even like do any sort of due diligence he's just like that's my story anyways well before he gets to the court case though he goes to see his superior officer is warning him you know maybe he doesn't want to do this and he's like i really want to do it and he's like well here's here's the list of impartial jurors we've gathered right. for your trial and he picks it up and he's like my father-in-law's on this and he's like oh yeah your father-in-law muscled his way onto this jury uh but we can kick him off if you want and staley's still like nah it's fine let him stay i'm like oh, what is happening staley yeah, he's like, he's like, he's like, don't worry about it. My evidence is so strong. I'm not worried about it at all. They're like, what evidence do you have? He's like, nothing. Well, at this point, too, it seems like the father-in-law is probably there to, like, help Staley out. But that all goes sideways in the next scene because he, we cut to his wife seeing her father in his greenhouse. And he is just machinating all over the place. He's got a captain position set up for Staley in L.A. So he never has to leave. He like he's like talking to his his daughter. He's just like, I just want to make sure that my little girl can be as entitled Mm -hmm. and as privileged as she wants to be. That's what you deserve. That's what you deserve, honey. You know, your mom, she was never comfortable being titled and and, uh, deserving. I hated her for it. But you love it. You love it. (laughs) And like she literally literally bad mouths her mom and then calls her a spoiled little brat. And she's like, oh, daddy, I love you so much. Yeah, the the wife does uh, not get the greatest role in this episode. She just like, she's just dumb and doesn't seem to care to know what's happening at all. Yeah, she's just daddy's little girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because even we're, we're like, I'll say there's there's a scene near, uh, I think right after this court case, which we're going to talk about, where basically they have like, he gives her an ultimatum and he's just like, that's it. Like, it's it's me or your father. And she's just like, really? Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess like dad's pretty great. And he's like, all right, I'm out of here. She can't choose, George. You can't choose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Staley walks into this greenhouse scene and he's basically like to his father. He's just like, why didn't you tell me you were on my jury? And he's just like, oops, I, I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Oopsie Daisy. That's on me. Um, and then Staley basically announces, he's like, I'm taking the reporter job in Denver. I want my wife to come with me. Like, that's what's happening. And the father-in-law is just like, hey, well, it's your life, I guess. I guess you can do whatever you want. There's nothing I could possibly do about it, eh? Nothing at all. Yeah, he's like, don't worry. I'm not going to be I'm not gonna be making some big injustice for all speech at this, uh, in this court hearing. And like, we literally like hard cut to the end of the trial. We don't see any of the trial. We cut to the end of the trial. And like the guy who's running is like, well, maybe we should take a little break. And the father-in-law says, he's like, no, let me speak first. Yeah, well, it's interesting because, I mean, you're saying trial. I don't think it's a trial as much as they said a hearing. So I think it's basically just like witnesses. But because Staley is the only witness, I don't know what it could have been. But it is weird that someone, that one, there's a jury. And secondly, that I don't know anything about military hearings. Um, but yes, that can the members of the jury just make big long speeches like they're a like they're a the defense lawyer it's very bizarre but anyways he does make a he, and not only does he make a big speech he makes very good points and sort of and sort of essentially undermines all uh staley's credibility is what he does yeah i mean i don't know if they're good points but they're certainly like leading points he basically yeah he proceeds to accuse staley of being too tired and too drunk to determine well, but, what a ufo but, but, was you know what I, I'm, I'm gonna be on the father last side because of this because Staley decided, one, he's going to tell the story, fine, but he was going to then be uh, adamant about giving all his points, which he did. He apparently had said he hadn't been drinking, which he had. I don't know why he just didn't mention, oh, I had a drink before I left. So point father-in-law. He was tired, which is another point he made. He did draw the top of the ships. Um, That also coincidentally looked like drawings in his book that he mentioned, also true. Um, he didn't know the location of uh, where the ship was. He conveniently forgot his film. And uh, he also didn't mention to anybody in the court hearing that he was going to take a job that was on TV. Um, that And the father-in-law, as you're right, sort of implies or leads uh, them to sort of say that, like, he thinks this is going to be like his, 
his sort of like cachet is like, I'm going to be the news reporter that saw the alien that's somehow going to like help his career. I don't know how it could, but that's what the father-in-law sort of uh, 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 submits as evidence. Yeah, he, he spins he spins a tale that this man is just a con artist who's trying to like get on TV. Um, and basically mm-hmm. it works. Uh, the final determination comes in and uh, Staley's basically painted as a liar, liar, pants on fire. Yeah. But again, I, I will say uh, we've, you know, we've seen the evidence as a viewer that he did see this, uh, this UFO, but he's the worst person at defending himself ever. I mean, his defense is that he's a good officer, everyone likes him, and that, like, he has no reason to lie about it. Right, right. But not anymore. But... Now everyone thinks he's a, he's a liar, he's a some sort of freak show out of the army mm-hmm. trying to be, get into civilian life. And it, this is the point where you're talking, where Staley gets out and he's, like, distraught, because, like, his father-in-law just mercilessly destroyed his reputation. And uh, it's so funny, his daughter shows up and she's just like, well, I don't see how daddy could have done that. <laughs> Yeah, she's she's uh, she's consistent to uh, to the end, and basically it ends in divorce right there in the lobby. But uh, mm-hmm. there's a small there's a small mercy for Staley, though he doesn't get to see it. But uh, our um, wh- sorry, what's our what's our friend's name here? We got we got uh, Major Jake Gatlin and uh, Staff Sergeant Harry Fitz. Yes, uh, Major Gatlin. He he storms over, livid about the absolute character assassination he saw inside of mm-hmm. that jury, and basically just tears into the father-in-law and says that like Project Blue Book's going to be looking into his reputation now to see what they can dig up on him. Yeah, it was a good scene, and I thought well acted. It was it was a, a good scene in the episode where it's like I think one of the few times we've really seen uh, uh, the personality of one of our two uh, leads in the show, which surprisingly you just don't get in either of these episodes it's like it's it's just odd to me how little we get of them it's the 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 story is really the focus the focus is on on the whatever the story is of the episode yeah yeah this it's more like these are standalone short stories but there's just like these two are like follow-through characters they don't Mm -hmm. need a lot of background i guess it's it's not dissimilar to some cop shows i think that like exist where it's just like the Mm -hmm. The crime is the plot, and then there's just these sort of background characters happening. Right. Um, it is interesting that this time they do have a weird like thing where they're like, hey, uh, we aren't going to use the hearings findings. We don't think they're accurate, but we're going to have to file this case under a true unknown, implying that maybe in these episodes they always like file the case as like unknown or solved. Like maybe there's like the end of these episodes kind of have like a, a decision. Made would you say them. would you say they maybe put them in like an X file? I think maybe in some sort of X file somewhere they might end up. <laughs> um, and anyway, the, the whole episode ends with a scene of Staley. He's he's driving away from the trial. He's going down that same Nevada road where he saw the UFO, mm-hmm. and he sort of pulls over in, a, in about the same spot he had the encounter. And he gets out and he sees something shimmering in the desert sun. And he goes out yeah. there and he finds a big shiny like metal object, very crystalline like. And he it's too hot to yeah, touch, it's like this, but he like, manages to pick it up. O- orb prism thing it's like uh it doesn't it's not that big it's probably the size like a little bit bigger than a um it's like between the size of like a baseball and a football um but it's like he was really selling that it's very heavy and like he takes it and he's like basically it's like he's got his evidence um it looks like it's from a ship he he carries this very heavy thing back to his car puts in his car of course car won't start and there's a lot of like it's funny because the music is making it seem like there's almost like a ticking and I was like is the thing ticking or is it just the music indicating to us that there's something something weird with this uh with this little object he's picked up so he's like kind of staring at it for a while and then he's just like well he picks it up walks to um just a gorge I guess the, like yeah a gorge yeah, like a cliffside and then chucks it as far as he can it kind of hits the side of the edge, rolls down, keeps rolling, 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 goes to the very bottom, and then just immediately explodes. <laughs> and I like but I like just before, as he's throwing it, he's, I, I don't know if it's right after it exploded or right before he throws he's like, eh, they won't believe me anyways. I was like, I don't I don't know. You did have, an, like, possibly some futuristic alien technology. They they may have to believe you. I did like that scene, too, because it makes no sense. Like, he picks it up, brings it to his car. His car won't start, obviously. We understand that alien technology yeah. stops your car. But his next move is just like, ah, oh, fuck it, I'm just throwing it in a gorge. <laughs> yeah. No, no, here's my question for you. Did did it explode from him throwing it and damaging it? Was it just a time bomb? And if it was a bomb, was it left by aliens to explode? Or, like, 
and did he know that? Like, it was just, I was like, what a weird thing to add to, like, as a button on an episode. I think they added into the score that, like, weird, it was like the sound of a busy signal on your phone. That's what I kept thinking. Right. Like, it, I was like, what a weird tone to put in your score about whatever, it's about aliens. I think they mm. added that ticking tone to attempt to explain, like, oh, Agogji was a bomb. I think they just shot that scene, and then when it was done, they're like, I don't think the scene makes any sense. Let's maybe make it seem like it was a bomb or something. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, it, 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 it's just, again, I think this is a better episode than the last one, but it was such a weird thing at the end for, like, I don't think him throwing it was motivated. I don't understand why it exploded. That wasn't motivated, and it also doesn't, like, that's the last scene of the episode. So we don't, they're just like, oh, well, that was a thing. You're supposed to know. It's like, uh, well, he almost had the evidence, but whatever. What are you going to do about it? That's life. Yeah, it, it, it blew up. <laughs> Anyways, he's a reporter now. <laughs> All right, Jordan. Do you have any final thoughts on these episodes? Do you want to get to ratings? Let's rate them. All right, Jordan. What do you want to give to Citing 4001, Washington, D.C. Incident? Yeah, I thought it was an okay episode. I like the the premise of this show. I, I think it looks it looks pretty good. I like the, the the how the robot looked and the ships and everything. I just thought from the kind of reasons we were saying the third act of this is weak at best and i think it kind of undermines the rest of the episode because it's just so nebulous and so kind of pointless so i can't give it more than a six. Oh wow i agree i think the i think the plot falls apart at the end for sure but i think the alien effects are really cool i think the kickoff to the premise really works like even like we didn't really talk about the visual effects but like the alien ship visual effects the robot like it does look really good everything looks really cool i you know these characters are you know, loose at best, but they're in, two interesting guys. I don't, I don't dislike them. I, I enjoyed the pilot. I'm gonna give it a seven. A seven, huh? And then what about citing 4006 Nevada Desert Incident? Well, I'm gonna give this one a seven. Uh, I've gone up one point. I don't think it quite gets that much further, but I do. There was things of this I really liked. I really liked um, the turn of right at the beginning. Uh, even though we've seen um uh the guy see the ufo that the show sort of undermines that immediately by showing oh maybe he's a bit of a kook um and i just i thought the interplay with the the weirdness of the father-in-law and him and and yeah i I just thought this episode worked much better and i hope this is more similar to what future episodes are going to be but room to grow seven out of ten yeah i think that's fair i think the plot itself was interesting i think like the weird dynamic between the wife, husband, and the father-in-law was, like, a little stilted by today's standards. But I think all the actors mm-hmm. were really, like, bringing their A-game to the to the show. UFO, once again, looked amazing. Like, the budgets for these yeah. UFOs are, like, insane. Like, very I would, I would say I would say especially in this episode, I thought it looked really cool and really different than I think UFOs I've seen I can think of. And also very different than the first episode. And I like just how... Yeah, I, I hope that's a thing that it's always just very different. I I don't know if I've seen a thing where a UFO like comes out of the desert and then shoots off into five pieces. Like it just yeah, it was really different. I liked it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna give it a seven as well. So that's two sevens for both these for me. Two sevens for you. You think those two episodes are the same? I think they're very similar. Hmm. I think they both have their say weaknesses, but they both have strengths. And I think they both. I I enjoyed watching them both in a in a similar way. I think. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, as we're gonna hop around a little bit because. I'm curious to know uh, how much of this, how much of this format they stay the same, and how much is going to going to be this sort of a, I, I don't want to say like, not Scooby Doo, but like, you know, something happens, they investigate and try to figure out because these two, I, th- I think the difference really is the first episode they're like, well, there's no way we can explain this, whereas in the second episode they're like, it's almost like yes, everyone knows it happened, but there's no way for them to prove it. And I think there was, th- maybe that little difference was uh, uh, what made me enjoy it more. Yeah, I mean, I think the first episode was pure investigation. We're just like investigation, investigation. Whereas the second episode was like about a man who maybe we could trust, maybe we couldn't, and his like personal life. So it was more of a story about the Staley character, whereas the first one had no character we were really following. It was just like a bunch of evidence. I think maybe that's what it is. I think this, they. I don't want to say a character study, but I think more maybe I'm more inclined to a character-based kind of episode as opposed to just sketches of humans that have seen things. You don't want to just follow a bunch of random clues and get the conclusion. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. At least let's get to something other than I don't know. But but we'll see. We'll see what future episodes are. 
Well, Jordan, we've already passed over four episodes of Project Geofo. We've already skipped past them mm-hmm. already. Yeah, why not? So if you, the listener, want more Project Geofo, if you're missing what was happening between, have we got something for you? Uh, we're <laughs> doing bonus episodes for charity this year. So all the information's on our uh, podcast website. You could find links to it on the social media or you know just Google this podcast and you'll, you'll find our website somewhere. Um, but the idea is... If you do a donation to one of the charities on our on our charity list on the website, all of them curated by past guests, and we, we suggest a donation of $50, but, you know, give what you can. We're not going to hold you to that. Um, we'll go back. We'll watch another episode of this. You can pick one of the episodes we missed. We'll go back and watch it. Or if you don't want Project UFO, we'll, we'll watch a show that we've already watched before and skipped episodes from, like uh, what, what, Freaky Links, uh, Misfits of Science, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can read all something, the de- something where we we had jumped ahead, and there there are episodes that are still to be viewed. Yeah, you can read all the details on the website on how you send us a receipt on how you pick the episode, etc. Sending it to the email address. Um, but speaking of the email address, if you have thoughts on Project UFO, you can email us here at continuumdrag at gmail dot com. And of course, yeah, any- it, it, have have you seen your UFO and then went to a court hearing and your father in law undermined your credibility? Let us know. Yeah, let us know how that job in Denver went. <laughs> <laughs> and of course on instagram and twitter we're going to have clips from these episodes there's some great ufo stuff so lots of good ufo stuff on instagram mm-hmm. and twitter this month or this week oh and i should say we didn't talk about in the first episode the wife of the pilot um the pilot who died uh who had his like canopy ripped off she is so over the top it made me laugh every scene like she's just like i'm selling it i'm at 11 so <laughs> it'd be great if there was a clip of her just freaking out um, the handle on social media is at continuum drag if you want to watch that. But that about wraps it up for this episode. So, listener, thank you for joining us. And, Jordan, I'll see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario, and Seoul, South Korea. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dalek and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Younes. <laughs>